Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. I'm in this series on anger, the monster within, and today I'm talking about how to shrink your anger button. Anybody got an anger button? Oh, come on, see this, you really need to be here this morning. (laughs) Everybody's got an anger button, but they're different sizes. Some of ours are so big. It's just really easy to push our button, and it happens almost every day and maybe many times before noon at work. And so today I'm looking at uh, this 1 Samuel 18, if you have your Bibles with you, and in it... um, Just to give you a little background here, uh, Saul has been appointed the first king of Israel, and he was taller than anybody else. He was good-looking, he was strong, and he was humble. And God chose him, picked him to be the first king because of his humility. Well, he was a great warrior, too, a great uh, military general, except along came a situation where he didn't do so well in, and that situation was named Goliath, the giant Goliath, the Phil- Philistine who challenged anyone in Israel, mano a mano, to fight him. And whoever won, the, the other nation would become their slaves. Well, nobody would fight Goliath. And then along came this shepherd guy, David, who said, I'll fight him. You know the slingshot story. He goes out and he kills, David, uh, kills Goliath. Well, this was a great thing. I mean, he really saved Israel. And at first, Saul was really happy about that as king. Now we pick up the story as to what pushed his anger button. We begin in verse 5. Whatever Saul sent David to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people in Saul's offices as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that is Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes and a B3 organ. Now they would have if they'd have had it, but they didn't, and lutes. And as they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Ooh. (laughs) Saul was really good, but David's ten times better. Saul was very angry, and this refrain galled him, upset his stomach. They had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Now that's really key. Because we think anger just drops out of the sky. We think anger in us is caused by what someone does to us. Very, very wrong. No one causes us to be angry. What caused Saul to be angry? He thought. That's a key thing that's going on here. His thinking is what is going to get him angry at David. 
They have credited David with tens of thousands. Work with me here. What's happening here? It's called jealousy, envy, sense of failure. He thought, but me with only thousands. It's called your cranky code. And I want to talk about your cranky code and my cranky code, and let's figure out what's in it, because it's your cranky code that's making you angry. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Do you know what that means? He began to case build. Case build, do you know what I mean? Once you get angry, you begin to gather evidence almost out of everything because you have a different eye. And really, it's not a truthful eye. It's a jealous eye that kind of spins it against the person you're angry at. Evidence gathering. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, picks this up. The New Testament affirming the Old Testament story of Saul, where it says, don't let the sun go, be angry, but don't let the sun go down in your anger and give a foothold in your heart to the devil. In other words, open the door to the devil in your life. Is that what Saul's doing? Angry, the next day an evil spirit came upon him. He was prophesying in his house when, so he, he was full of the spirit himself, but he's going to leak badly. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Now get this. Saul is talking Bible. He is prophesied. And he picks up his spear and tries to kill the guy he's angry at. You can read your Bible and be full of anger towards somebody and start throwing spears. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to talk about how to lay down your spear today, I hope and deal with your cranky code. I hope it blesses you. Well, at Bellevue, Washington, a couple of years ago, the police chief reported um, that a man got so angry at his car that was stuck in the snow that he called it a stupid car. And he pulled the entire iron out of his trunk and smashed out all the windows in his stupid car. And then he pulled a gun out from underneath his seat and shot holes all through the car so it looked like, you know, a mafia hit. And uh, then he reloaded it and shot it again. Police chief said, well, probably we should call this autocide. <laughs> In the news just this last week, an incredible story was reported about a 56-year-old Milwaukee man who shot his lawnmower with a sawed-off shotgun <laughs> because it wouldn't start. He told police, it's my lawnmower and it's my lawn and I can shoot it if I want to. 
But the police disagreed. They charged him with possession of an illegal firearm, sawed-off shotgun, and with disorderly conduct because it was disturbing to the neighbors as he shot his lawnmower. And he faces six years in prison because his anger got the best of him. Life is 10% what happens and 90% our reaction. Anger has become epidemic in America. We have road rage, vending machine rage, computer rage, reality shows and sitcoms teach us to be angry. It's true, they build their story so much around anger as the right response. Dr. Henry Brandt, who is one of the most respected Christian counselors in America today, says that anger is the problem, the root problem, in 90% of the counseling he does, even if the person themselves doesn't, uh, doesn't recognize it. It is the number one cause of divorce. Anger hardens hearts. And it takes two people who once were friends and loved each other and turns them against each other. It is one of the biggest problems in blended families, isn't it? It ruins more friendships than any other thing. Anger has physical consequences, if you didn't know it. It's the cause of all kinds of physical maladies. Anger also has the power to make us miserable, doesn't it? As you have angry thoughts about what someone did a week ago or a month or a year ago, it can ruin your vacation. You can be sitting on the beach stewing. You can be at a nice restaurant, biting into a nice juicy filet. And if you have anger thoughts and begin to rehearse your anger, it'll turn that steak into rubber. But worst of all, Angry parents produce angry children. The fact is, children learn to handle their emotions by watching how their parents handle their emotions. It's hard to admit, but if you have a child who's now 20 or 25, and they have different forms of anger, like they're rebellious, Rebellious, rebellious or sullen or they often throw pity parties. All these are forms of anger that we talked about last week. Yelling isn't the only form of anger. There's lots of different other quieter forms. If they have any of these forms of anger as habitual in their life, you can be pretty sure they learned it from one or both of their parents. Anger can become our legacy. It's passed through generations just, just like alcoholism is. Of course, if me telling you that this morning just made you angry, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and that's why I'm always baffled why someone wants to defend their right to be angry. And I hear this all the time. People wanting to defend their right to be angry. 
And I'm quite sure that someone will hear this sermon and send me an email or talk to somebody and say, the Bible does not say anger is sin. Some people want to use that as to defend their right to be angry because nowhere does the Bible call anger sin. And what is often used is, well, even Jesus got angry, and it's true. Twice in the New Testament, Jesus gets angry. But my answer always to that is, if we only got angry about what Jesus got angry about, everything would be good. <laughs> but we're not Jesus. And we get angry about all kinds of other things that Jesus never responded with anger to. So, in my mind, Jesus is not a good defense for the right to be angry because I'm not Jesus. Now, it is true, anger is not called a sin in the Bible. Be angry, but do not, sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. The Bible warns again and again that anger is just one letter short of the word danger. That it, if you don't deal with it, can lead to sin. Last week we saw God warn Cain about his anger towards his brother. Remember those really profound questions. God says, why are you angry, Cain? And then he says to him, sin crouches at your door. He warns him, okay, you're angry. You got to deal with this because it's going to lead to sin if you don't. And sure enough, he murders his brother. And Saul in our scripture this morning is just another one of many stories in the Bible saying the same thing. He's angry at David. And what's he do? He starts throwing spears at David. And the rest of Saul's life, he tries to kill David to eliminate this competitor as he sees him. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, God says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold in your heart. That's what anger does. It opens you up to the devil having a place in your heart. Now, I think this is very, very important to understand. If you're a Bible reader, you know that never does the Bible say lust our greed will open you up to the devil having uh, influence in your life. None of those things. Only anger. Only anger is said to give, uh, open the door to your life to the devil. Anger is a very serious emotion. In fact, just to remind us, Anger turned one of God's angels into the devil, Satan himself. Yeah. One of the worshipers, the leader of worship in heaven, anger, his jealousy and anger that God was being worshipped when he wanted to be worshipped, turned that angel into the devil. Anger is at the core of the identity of Satan. So it's a very serious emotion and very, very dangerous. Now, I, I really need to say this. 
There are situations where anger is very, very justified, and that's physical abuse and emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Those kinds of situations, you know, I'm not dealing with in this series. Those are the kinds of situations when it really becomes dangerous, you need to get out, you need to get help. That's a whole other issue. What I'm dealing with in this series is just general life. Broadly speaking, situations that are not life-threatening like those. So in 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very angry at David. And the next thing we read in verse 10 is this. The next day, an evil spirit came forcefully upon Saul. You see, this is an Old Testament story illustrating what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Anger, it opened the door to his heart. And he degenerated. So what's the solution? Because everybody gets angry at some time or another. What's the solution? Well, I was thinking about it this last week, and Botox is a possible solution. <laughs> You know, you can get some Botox injections and you can't even make an angry face. <laughs> of course, that's no real solution, is it? And, you know, or uh, the other solution, the other plan is to change everyone so they always do what you want them to do from now on. And a lot of you are on that plan. <laughs> you have been on this plan with your children, with your boss, wherever you work with whoever you're married to, there's probably someone in your life now, that's your strategy. I'm going to change them so they don't offend me anymore and then I won't be angry. God bless you. <laughs> it doesn't work. But we keep doing the same thing that doesn't work. We're insane. The other alternative is we could shrink our anger button so it's so easy to push. It'd be so small, it'd be really hard to push our anger button instead of this big. And that's what I want to talk about because I believe with all my heart when I learned this years ago, it just was revolutionary to me. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react. That's my choice. I can't choose to control everything that happens to me, but I can choose my reaction. And that's revolutionary and freeing. Now, there are people in your life who will never improve. They're never going to change. Do you know why? They don't want to. <laughs> it's amazing. People who have real issues don't want to change. And probably it's because they've done it so long, they don't see anything wrong with it. Usually when a person, C.S. Lewis put it this way, sin is like bad breath. Everybody knows you've got it except you. Now, somebody has an obvious issue and they don't see it as an issue. Most likely it's because they grew up in a family where it wasn't an issue. They just think it's normal. Their mother's like this, their father's like this. Or they've just done it so long, they don't see the problem with it. It's become 
a mental and emotional habit in their life. So I put on the screen something that I, I just believe with all my heart. The hardest thing in the world is to convince someone they have done wrong when they are convinced it is not wrong. The hardest thing in the world is to convince someone what, that what they've done is wrong. We use the Bible, we use psychology, we use all kinds of stuff. Give it up. People are very slow to admit that what they've done is wrong. Because admitting is unnatural for human beings. Now, this is real important. To admit that what you have done is wrong, when you didn't think it was wrong, takes a very mature person, spiritually and emotionally. That's a mark of maturity. To change your mind about your behavior and to see that what you thought was right is actually wrong in God's eyes takes great maturity. Jeremiah the prophet said, the heart is deceitful above all things. We have this endless ability to rationalize and spin and justify and to turn wrong into right. That's what the Bible says. You've got to have a healthy skepticism about yourself. This endless ability to deceive ourselves and to make wrong right. So it takes great spiritual maturity. And you know, by the way, this is why I just plead with people. When you're falling in love, make sure you fall in love with somebody who's growing spiritually. Somebody who has some emotional and spiritual maturity. Who really is changing, not just in a Bible study, but is changing. Because you, it'll just read dividends. You marry somebody. This is, this is kind of free today. It's not part of the passage. If you marry somebody who's emotionally immature, you're just endless problems. It takes spiritual maturity and emotional maturity for a husband or wife to listen to the other and say, you know, I was wrong and you're right. When's the last time you've heard that from the person you're married to? I was wrong and you're right. Mature people are in short supply because it takes time and effort. We get so distracted with entertainment and technology and 49er games. And <laughs> There's so many things to do that are fun rather than work on your maturity, which is not always fun. That takes effort. And basically, we're spiritually and emotionally lazy. We really are. We distract ourselves with something else. That's why maturity is in short supply. So it's really not a very profitable or effective way to shrink your anger button. The only real solution is to draw a circle around ourselves and work on our own anger button rather than trying to stop people from pushing it, shrink it so it's hard for them to find it. So let me ask you, who have you been angry at in the last 30 days? Whose name comes to mind that they've pushed your anger button? I'll give you some time on that because there's a... <laughs> 
What I'm about to say is of utmost importance and it'll just completely change your mind about anger and motivate you if you'll believe it. And it's this. Anger is a form of emotional dependence. Anger is emotional dependence. It's really interesting that people who are angry think they're strong and independent, and the opposite is the truth. They say things like, he made me so angry. What is that? Independence? No, that's emotional dependence. We've become codependent upon the other person's behavior, and if they don't do what we want, we can't be happy. It's very hard for us to admit this, but it's so obviously true. We have forfeited power over our emotions to other people when we have a big anger button. When we're angry often, we're emotionally dependent. And it's a weak way to live. It's a weak way to live. Anger is actually a form of stubbornness. A form of stubbornness. This is how I think is ideal with anger, because these are solutions. You know what doesn't work? Oh, just don't be angry. That doesn't work. You've got to talk to yourself and figure out what the roots are. It's a form of stubbornness. We stubbornly insist that they must do what we want. They must behave the way we want. They must change and stop doing what they're doing. Or, of course, we can't get rid of our anger. Do you see how stubborn that is? You must change or I'm always going to be angry. We become emotionally dependent upon sinful people around us. Just ordinary people. And it's a weak way to live. Anger gives people the power to make us miserably unhappy. And what I'm pleading for is stop giving people that power. Stop giving people that power in your life. So the question is, how do we shrink our anger button? Well, first, ask yourself, what is the cry behind my anger? The cry behind my anger. <clears throat> now, Saul is a poster child for this insight. Why was he throwing spears at David? When everyone else was afraid to fight the giant Goliath, David had killed him mano a mano. And he had saved Israel. He'd done a great thing for Saul and Israel. And at first Saul was grateful until the nation began to sing David's praises, give him more credit than to, to Saul. Israel saying Saul has, has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Next line, Saul was very angry, changed his mood. This song galled him. He was jealous of David's popularity, envious of his success, and angry because it made him feel less. He let it make him feel less. He really couldn't stand the praise coming to David, the success David had that was greater than his own. So what was the cry behind Saul's anger? 
It was this sense of inferiority. When he began his kingship, he was humble. You know what part of his humility was? He had a sense of inferiority. And it's coming out now in his... It wasn't really humility. It was a sense of inferiority. He felt like a loser now, defective. He had lost the competition with being the greatest in Israel. His real problem was ego. It got to his pride and his ego. David didn't make Saul angry. Saul's ego made him angry. You can't do this to me. Anger always says more about us than the other person. Anger is actually revelatory about us if we'll let it be. But you see, in our culture today, this, people, they don't know this. People want to say, well, of course I'm angry because of what they did. That's not true. Life is 10% what happens and 90% how you react, and that's your choice. So to shrink my anger button, I have to ask, what is it about me that's being hooked by this behavior? that re makes me react this way. It's what's inside of me that makes me angry, not their behavior. We will never shrink our anger button until we stop blaming others for their behavior. Even if it's bad behavior, that doesn't matter. It's still our choice how we react to that bad behavior. The best book I know about this is, Dr. Les, is by Dr. Les Carter. It's called The Anger Trap. And you know, I had uh, us buy a whole bunch of these that are out there for you. We sell them to you at cost because it's such a, just a great Christian book of wisdom. And in it, he talks about the different cries that are behind our anger, you know, our ego and pride and other things. And he says that, you know, one of the, most deceitful and subtle cries is, I want to control the world. It's really me wanting to control people and everything around me so that everything around me is pleasing to me. So he says anger can be a form of manipulation. Isn't that ego? I want to manipulate people and I want to control the world around me so everything is the way I want it to be. Ego, control. Tears, pity parties, giving a person a silent treatment, withholding sex, going to a third person to dump our anger about the first person onto the third person in an attempt to get them to be our messenger and warrior our warrior. Anger is manipulative. It's stubbornness that insists we want what we want and we use anger to manipulate people so that they'll do almost anything to make us happy. And I'll bet you there's marriages here where one of the partners uses anger to such an extent that makes everybody so unhappy they'll just do whatever it takes to stop the anger. It's a form of control. Saul blamed David 
But the truth is, Saul's pride and ego and insecurity were the real reasons. Now, let me just say a little problem about trying to control people through your anger or sex or any other means. It's very exhausting. (laughs) And you know, in the end, if you were able to control your husband or wife so that they just did everything you wanted, it wouldn't make you happy. In fact, you'd lose respect for them. You'd lose respect because they become weak. In the end, controlling just doesn't work. But a lot of us are in that mode using anger to do it. Well, Saul's problem was not David. David hadn't done anything wrong. It was actually the cry of the ego and pride within Saul. Check me if this isn't right. When he heard that song of praise of David, he said, what about me, 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 me? What about me, 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 me? Ego, throwing spears. And that's why his anger button was so big and so easy to push because his insecurity and his ego were so big. But he couldn't admit that, so he threw spears. But if Saul could only have faced the truth about what was behind his anger, he would have saved his family and his, himself and his sons so much grief that was coming down the road. It would have solved so many problems. And it will solve so many problems in our life and lift the misery quotient if we stop trying to control people around us and stop blaming our anger on them and draw a circle around ourselves. Because the only person you can change is you. To honestly look inside ourselves and ask, why is my anger button so big? Why did it get pushed? The second step in shrinking your anger button is to reduce your cranky code. (laughs) What makes you cranky? Well, it's not behavior. It's your beliefs and expectations about people that make you cranky. That's your cranky code. Your beliefs and your expectations that you stubbornly hold on to. Now, it's very easy for us all to write down what our anger code is. This is all you have to do. I give you a little challenge. For the next two weeks, keep a little notepad next to you, and every time you get angry, write down the thought you had when you got angry. Write down the thought you had when you got angry. That's your cranky code. What I'm trying to say is anger doesn't drop out of the sky. It is produced by your thinking. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of a cranky code, and maybe you can count what's true for you on your fingers and use your toes if you have to, but here it goes. Here's one, my cranky code. My time's important. Don't be late. That's irresponsible and disrespectful. (laughs) I have a right to be angry number two when people say the wrong thing three I don't like anyone to embarrass me because being embarrassed makes me look bad 
Four, I don't like anyone to tell me what to do because it feels controlling. Five, I have a right to criticize people because I have high standards. Six, my opinions are smarter than other people and that's why it makes me angry when people disagree with me. Seven, if you disagree with me, that means you don't respect me. That's a belief that a lot of people have. Can't stand disagreement because that's disrespect. They think. Not true, but they think it is. Don't hold me accountable to company policy. I'm an exception. <laughs> Nine, I don't have time for slow thinkers, and that's why I have to interrupt you. Ten, if you don't have my personality, you're defective. <laughs> you know, that's especially a problem with parents who have a type A personality, and they've got a kid who's not a type A, and who really likes to be alone, and has only one or two friends and is happy, and we're always pushing them to be social. You don't have my personality. You're not an extrovert like me. Oh, gee. That causes such conflict in a family. Twelve, if you reject my criticism, it means you're stubborn. Thirteen, I should get credit for all I do, and when I don't get credit, it's horrible. That's Saul. Fourteen, here's one. You should notice me. Fifteen, you should not interrupt me. All our shoulds, just identify your shoulds. All your shoulds, that's your cranky code. You know the problem with that is people don't do what they should do. You don't even do what you should do all the time. Oh, shoulds are such a problem and make us so angry. What I'm trying to convince you of is that anger doesn't drop out of nowhere. Anger is produced by what we think. A person is what he thinks, says Proverbs 23, 7. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the changing of your mind. It is so important that we have to realize it's habits of thinking and beliefs and expectations that are our cranky code, that our emotions are produced by our thoughts. And the obvious proof of that is two people in the same situation, one gets angry and one doesn't. Why? Because they think differently. No one, this is so important, no one can be more angry free than their mind is anger free. You can never be more anger free than your thinking is. Judgmental thoughts, critical thoughts, they just make our anger buttons so big and harden our hearts. So what we have to practice, get this, is thought stopping. Thought stopping. You don't have to let angry thoughts just run in your mind. You can say, no, that is not godly thinking. That is not how Jesus Christ would think about this person. I'm stopping it now. Thought stopping. When you feel yourself getting angry, you have to ask, what is the thought I'm having that's producing the angry, anger in me and stop it? So if Saul had, would have stopped and asked, 
What kind of thinking is making me angry? It would have been something like this. Oh, my ego, I don't like to be in second place. I don't like somebody to be more successful. Stop it. And he wouldn't have been throwing spears. One of the best things that lots of marriages and parents could do is start keeping a record of the thinking that you have when you get angry and start working on your cranky code. That's how you shrink your anger button. Now, the third way I'm going to give you is just so obvious, but it baffles me why Christians don't see it and don't use this with their anger button. Let me give it to you. It's this. No matter what bad thing someone has done, remember, Jesus paid for their sins in full. Jesus paid for their sins, past, present, and future, just like he paid for yours, in full. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 in your Bible. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now here's a picture that Christ has come into a country, our mind, our heart, and he has taken the country. Now we're Christians. The only problem is there's some isolated fortresses that are still left unconquered where the evil one still has a, a spot, a fortress that is resisting God's power and word in our life, resisting Christ. Parts of our life, Christ is resisted. That's the stronghold. We demolish arguments that is the deceitfulness of our mind, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive what? Every thought. Your thinking is what is producing your anger. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, including our judgmental, critical, and angry thoughts. We have to take them captive to the Word of God and to Christ. And that's what Christians aren't doing. Now let me develop this just a little bit more. I want to give you one of the fortresses, the strongholds, that I see again and again is why people are not getting anger free and not handling the bad things people do to them. This is why... People are letting people's bad things enrage them and they start throwing spears. Here's why. It's the belief, contrary to God's word, that people must pay for their sins against me. Some way I have to make people pay for the bad thing they've done. Oh, I know the Bible says leave vengeance to God. Romans 14. But secretly... I can't trust God to take vengeance because, you know, he's merciful. It's just a problem. He may show them mercy, and I can't let them get away with it. That's really the way we think. I, it takes too long for God to show vengeance, and he just might show them mercy, and then, then what? Do you know what's at the bottom of this? This thinking? I want to make them pay. A denial of the cross. 
What Jesus did was good enough for my sins, but not good enough for them. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, and with his blood paid for their sins, almost. Now I need to make them pay as well. Do you see that? It is the ultimate hypocrisy, if I could say that. Probably making you mad right now. It's the ultimate hypocrisy. Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, but you got to pay for that one. No mercy. I want justice, an eye for an eye. In other words, you can't be allowed to, quote, get away with that. What does that say? <laughs> Somebody's got to pay for that. You can't get away with it. Christ did pay for it. He has paid for their sin as well as yours. So this cry for justice is really a denial of the cross. It has been paid for in full. Now, what I'm pleading for this morning is when somebody has really wronged you, getting even with them is self-torture. You'll never get even. Let Christ pay for their sin and instead show them mercy. Show them mercy because Christ paid for their sin. Because mercy is the only thing that sets you free from being dependent upon them, their behavior. It's the only thing. Mercy is so strong. Mercy. And so difficult to give. When we want person to pay for their sins, it traps us in our anger and it puts us in conflict with Jesus who paid for their sins. And Jesus stands before you and say, you mean what I did on the cross is not sufficient? It puts you in conflict with him. Applying the cross is the single best way to shrink your anger button. Mercy. So who are you angry at this morning? Honestly, critical, judgmental love. On the screen is a possible list. Joe, who betrayed me. My mother, who endlessly criticized me. My dad, who abused me. Mandy, who criticized me. My ex-husband, the dirty guy, unfaithful. <laughs> my superior at work, who is unfair and unjust. Sally, who just fired me. And Carl, who talked behind my back. Who's on your list? What's their sin against you? The cross says, paid in full. And you know what I want to suggest to you? You go home and really write up your list. And then go down to Safeway and get a little stamp that says paid in full. And stamp it. And every day when somebody does bad things to you, put, stamp it. Honest to God, that will do more to shrink your anger button than anything in the world. I challenge you to do that. Give mercy and give it quickly. Well, you're all mad at me, so let's pray. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you for the Bible. Oh, it is so wise and so 
different from the way we naturally think. And, and this morning, Lord, anger is so epidemic, such a huge problem. I pray that we would stop being lazy and start working on spiritual maturity in the way we think and really start working on the insides of our life that we can really be joyful and live abundantly and not miserably. I pray for anybody who's trapped in anger this morning that before they walk out the door, they would give mercy paid in full. Amen. Well, that was another practical message from Dr. Mike. If you live in our area, why not come to in-person worship at one of our three locations Sunday? Hearing Dr. Mike live is so much more powerful. So we hope you can come. <laughs>